Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. We're talking about glory and thankfulness. This is lesson two. Just a quick review here this morning before we continue on with our study. We stated that God created man to walk in and manifest his glory in the earth. And we see that in the 8th Psalm where it talks about how God anointed man or crowned man with glory and honor. And put all things beneath his feet, give him authority over all the works of his hands. You talk about an honor and you talk about glory. But then we saw in Romans 3.23 that when man fell, he fell from the glory of God. For all have sinned and came short of the glory of God of God. And so although he was crowned with glory and honor, he forfeited it by sin. Well, we're in a dilemma. What are we going to do? Can we have that glory restored? Not on our own. But thanks be unto God who loved the world enough that he gave Jesus his son so that we could have it restored. And in salvation, what happens? We receive that glory in the new birth in these jars of clay that we're living in on the earth. So we've got the glory on the inside of us. Thanks be to God for that. But the only problem is what's on the inside has got to get to the outside. And how are we going to do that? By renewing our mind to what the word of God teaches. As a matter of fact, it's called transformation. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, we are told as we look into the mirror of God's word. We glean light as to who we are in Christ. We see who we are on the inside, what we have on the inside as a result of the deposit of the life and nature of God on the inside. Well, we're changed by what we see from, notice this, glory to glory. One degree of glory to another degree of glory. So we're being transformed or we're being changed as we look into the word of God and we see that it says walk in love. It changes us. When we see it says live by faith and not by fear, it changes us. When it talks about loving your enemy, it changes us. And we begin to walk in the character of Christ as we live our lives upon the earth. So that which is on the inside can manifest on the outside. So man's a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. You look good in your spirit already. I mean, really good. I know Dante says you all look good in the flesh out here. And you do. But on the inside, we look a whole lot better. Can you say amen to that? We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're His masterpiece on the inside, praise God. And we look good in Jesus. And by renewing our mind, we're getting on the inside to the outside. And that's called transformation. Our lives are being transformed. Now... One of the things that makes it difficult, of course, is this man on the outside sometimes doesn't want to cooperate. 
Can you say amen to that? Right? It's the difference between buffet and buffet. Right? Either we buffet the, the flesh or we buffet the flesh to change from glory to glory. Amen. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we see something here that's really enlightening with regard to the glory of God manifesting in our lives in different ways. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. It's not strange that we get challenges in this life, is it? But rejoice. Here's where being thankful and joyful and rejoicing comes into play. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. You missed a good time to shout. <laughs> what did he say? Peter, are you right about that? If we be reproached for the name of Christ, we should be happy because the spirit of glory and God rests upon us. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, isn't he our example? Isn't Jesus our example? Isn't he the one that we follow? Well, do you realize that Jesus was a very thankful individual? Absolutely. Imagine being so confident in yourself, so confident in your walk with the Father, so confident in the words that you speak, that all you need to do to see the glory manifest is say, thank you. Thank you. Let me show you some things here. Jesus was a thankful individual. And when he gave thanks, God's glory manifested in various ways. Number one, John's gospel, chapter six. He was thankful for food. Let's read it. This is from the New Living Translation. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Of course, he was trying to get away to get some rest. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And Philip said, Panera bread. Well, notice he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Come on, Jesus. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. How about that for coming over for supper? Then Jesus took the loaves. And what did he do? What did he do? Gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. I'm assuming he gave thanks for the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted after everyone was full. Don't you love that part? Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and 
filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. First of all, we see that Jesus' fame was spreading so far that people came from every direction for two reasons, to hear his message and receive his miracles. They needed to hear some things that he said if they wanted to get their miracle. They came to hear him and be healed on numerous occasions. So they come and they find him. And of course, Jesus, they knew would benefit them spiritually, physically as well. And remember this, Jesus was concerned about humanity. He was concerned about them spiritually, emotionally, physically, even financially. He was concerned about them in every area of their lives. They knew he was reaching out to, to the people in various ways, especially in the way of healing and deliverance from demonic influences and powers. Well, being aware of their needs, of course, he would make himself available to the Father so that he could help meet the needs of the people that he ministered to. Well, now we have in this story a question that Jesus asked, where can we find food to feed these people? And I think in the King James, it says like 200 penny worth. Philip said 200 penny worth is 200 denarii. 200 denarii is, which is why the New Living Translation says months, is equivalent to 200 days working. So 200 days of work is about approximately, what, seven months? Say 30, roughly. 30 days in a month, seven months, 210 days. Seven months, imagine this, to have this group over your house for dinner going to cost you seven months of work. Wow. So that's the magnitude of the situation. Well, then uh, Andrew says, well, this little boy here, he has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, who is this little boy? Do we know his name? I don't think we do, do we? Um, you can look it up and see if maybe tradition says who, who the boy was or what his name was, but we don't really see it. It's not mentioned. I guarantee you, though, his lunch is known. Five barley loaves and some seafood. Right? Might have gone to Long John Silver's or somewhere like that. Who knows? Everybody knows about his lunch, right? I love the theologians that say this boy must have had a big lunch to feed 5,000 men plus the women and children. Boy, that kid was hungry. Now, even though we don't know who he was, we know about his meal. And then we know this. When Jesus said, thank you, he distributed it. Can you wrap your brain around that? What about this? I can see if everybody ate to the full. Twelve baskets left over. How does that happen? Amazing, huh? But what triggered off the glory that would create such a miracle? Thank you. So confident in his words. So confident in his walk. Thank you. And boom, the miracle takes place. It doesn't say he said, thank you for multiplying the food. He just gave thanks to God. It would be nice if we could record exactly what he said, if that's 
the only, were those the only words that he said? Right? But thank you. Now that is someone who is so confident, knowing that there's a need here, there's a God who meets the need, and all that's required for it to be met is, thank you. Have you considered just, instead of playing a long, elaborate prayer, thank you for healing my shoulder. Thank you for healing my knee. Thank you. Whatever the need might be, I believe I receive it done. I just want to thank you. We sang about it. I just want to thank you. So, the glory was manifested in the multiplication of the food. Number two, he was thankful for revelation. And this has a little twist to it. Look in Matthew's gospel, chapter 11 and verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And now we find out why. Because you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. He was thankful for revelation being revealed to children or those with childlike faith and thankful that it was being hidden from those that were arrogant, prideful, and thought they knew it all. And so he said, thank you. And if you think about it, if you consider the fact that the two men on the road to Emmaus, they were with him, didn't really have the insight as to who he was, but was at the moment when Jesus opened up their eyes that they saw the full truth. What is that telling us? We need to understand the same thing. If it were not for God opening up our eyes, we would never have the revelation that we need. No wonder the Apostle Paul constantly says, I'm thanking the Father for you and your eyes of your understanding to be enlightened, to know the hope of your calling. You see, it comes by the Spirit of God as we thank Him, humbling ourselves before Him saying, I don't know, man. I need to know. Give me the revelation that I need. Now, He just got done reprimanding three communities. Tyre, Sidon and Capernaum and tells his disciples in the previous verses 20 through 24 he says man if this if these two Tyre and Sidon would have seen the miracles that I did here you know what Sodom would still be here today still be here and he goes on to reprimand the others and what's he reprimanding them for not recognizing who he was who he is not receiving him as their Messiah thinking that they knew it all their pride, their arrogance and all that, their religious traditions that blinded their minds. They embraced a whole lot more than the revelation he was bringing to them with signs and wonders and miracles. It's amazing to me how people can actually see with their own eyes even the miracles that he did, including raising up Lazarus from the dead and walk away and just say, what are we going to do with this guy? He's done a lot of things. So you see, it's so important that we too approach the throne the same way. Father, thank you for giving me the revelation that I need. For giving me the understanding that I need. Maybe I'm not walking in the fullness of what faith is all about. Where am I missing it? Open up my eyes. This should be our constant statement before God. Thank you for opening up the eyes of my understanding. And giving me the revelation that I need. Look in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Here the apostle Paul is praying for the church at Colossae. 
For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, why that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. That's a, pretty much of a mouthful, isn't it? This is my desire for you. That you could have this revelation so that you could walk worthy of the Lord and giving thanks to the Father who has made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the powers or the authority of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the remission of sin. Right in the middle of all that, he puts a big thank you in there. Oh, I'll tell you what, we should embrace this big thank you. I want my eyes to be open, not so that I can debate with somebody to say, I'm right and you're wrong. I want my eyes to be open so that I can have a revelation of and an understanding of what Jesus did for me and what he did for me is in me. And how do I get it out of me through me so I could be a blessing to people everywhere I go? I want to have this revelation so I can walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, giving thanks to the Father who made it possible for me to be a partaker of this inheritance in the saints of light. Can you say it with me? Thank you, Father, for this inheritance that we have in the saints of light. You delivered us from the powers of darkness. You translated us into your kingdom and I thank you for it I have redemption through his blood the remission of my sins oh my goodness you want to talk about a thank you a remission of our sins means a complete removal of our sins it does not mean like the old covenant had a covering over their sin it was still there it means a removal of the sin. It no longer exists. Hallelujah. It is gone. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. And the only one that knows what's in the sea of forgetfulness is the devil. And he likes to fish. So when he goes fishing and pulls it up and puts it in your face, say, that's only a picture. It's gone. Hallelujah. Thank you for your blood, Jesus. Thank you for your blood. So how does this glory manifest? When the glory manifests with that thanksgiving, there's a revelation that comes. A revelation that comes. You see, glory manifests in different ways. A cloud by day, a fire by night, protection between the enemy and so on and so forth. How many of you recall the story of the 12 men going to spy out the land in Numbers 13 and 14. Two came back with a faith report and the others came back with a natural report that they turned into an evil report. And when Joshua said in Numbers 13, well, these are bread for us. Uh, don't, don't, don't go against God now. Don't rebel against God. God's on our side. He'll help us get in it. They picked up stones to stone them, right? What prevented them from stoning? The glory. The glory showed up. Now it's a barrier, barrier between them and these rebels that want to stone them. So we see another manifestation of the glory. 
to provide protection for those that were in need of it, even among their own people. Number three, and this is so important to all of us, power. They were thankful. He was thankful for power to overcome persecution and suffering. Something I know that's hard for us to swallow. I realize that. But you know as well as I do, you will be suffering as a Christian in this life. By the way, we're seeing that even happen here among us right now. As you know, Thursday we had the meeting over there at Penn State University. A lot of persecution took place as a result leading up to it and even after it. Because we think differently. Because we promote what God's word teaches. And we'll get into that at another time maybe. But suffice it to say this. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have Jesus giving Paul a revelation of what took place on the night that he instituted what is called the Lord's Supper. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the, same, that the, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, he institutes the Lord's Supper, and that's what took place back then. And then within a few hours, he gets up from the supper table, and they begin to sing the Holocaust as they enter into Gethsemane, where his body is about to be broken and his blood is about to be shed. Right? He is giving thanks to the Father, not just because he's instituting his supper. He's giving thanks to the Father because he knows he needs the glory of God in his life in order to endure the suffering he's about to go through. Because he's about to endure suffering that no human ever would suffer before or after. And he needs the grace of God and the glory of God that empowers him. You know, grace means the equipping of God, the power of God, the ability of God, whatever that we need, whatever the need might be. And here he needed this power. As you can see him in the garden of Gethsemane where he's crying out, if it's at work in prayers and sweating tears of blood. And then cries out, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You can't tell me that there wasn't a warfare that was taking place within his own soul. He knows what he's about to go through. Others have gone through crucifixion and didn't do what he did in the garden of Gethsemane. They just went through it. But Jesus knew that he would become sin for us. Who knew no sin? He needed the grace and the glory of God. And so what happens? He endures all that he had to go through. Empowered. As angels came and ministered to him. And then he went to the cross. He goes, it's, it's done. It's a done deal now. I can do it. I want to read to you a testimony. Uh, just to show us what I'm talking about. How did the glory manifest? It was seen in his suffering. And his ability to go through it. And not give up on us. You see, he saw the joy that was set before him. Before the, after the cross. But to get through it. He needed that glory. This is the testimony of uh, Thomas Hawks. Have you ever heard of him? It goes all the way back to the 1500s. 
He was in prison because he wouldn't change his belief system. He was uh, cast into jail and told, recant. He was Protestant. Recant your belief. Follow our religion and you'll be set free. His comment was, you, if I had a hundred bodies, I would have them all torn into pieces rather than recant the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a commitment? Well, listen, what happened? During his imprisonment, various plans were tried to make him recant, but all proved useless. Thomas's constant answer to all who spoke to him on the subject was, I am not changing. When responding to the Bishop of London, who urged him to give up his faith, he said, no, my Lord, that I will not. For if I had a hundred bodies, I would suffer them all to be torn in pieces rather than I would recant. Unable to get him to recant, they passed an awful sentence of death upon him. To this, he firmly replied that he would rather suffer death than renounce his faith in the gospel. While in prison, waiting till he be taken to the stake, Hawks was allowed to see his friends. Several of them asked him if it would be possible for him to give them some token to show that a man could suffer the fire without despairing. Hawks promised. By the help of God to show them that the most terrible torments could be endured in the glorious cause of Christ and his gospel, the comforts of which were able to lift the believing soul above all the injuries men could inflict. It was agreed between them that if the pains of burning were bearable, the martyr would lift up his hands toward heaven before he died as a signal to his friends. On April 10th, 1555, Thomas was led to the place of execution where he mildly and patiently prepared himself for the fire, being fastened to the stake with a strong chain about his middle. He addressed the multitude of onlookers, including his accusers, pointing out the sin and dreadful consequences of shedding innocent blood. After Hawks had made a prayer, pouring out his soul to God, the flames were kindled around him and soon blazed with such fierceness that his speech could not be heard by the flame's intensity. As the fire burned a long time, his skin was drawn together, his fingers were consumed, and having not moved, the people thought he was dead. Suddenly, and contrary to all expectation, Thomas, mindful of the promise he made his friends, raised his hands, still burning with flames, high above his head, and as if in an ecstasy of joy, clapped them together three times. Imagine that. A great shout followed this wonderful circumstance, and then this blessed martyr of Christ sinking down, gave up the ghost. And that cry he cried out was, O oh Lord, receive my spirit. Wow. How was the glory manifested? In such a way so as to protect him from the awful pain that he was going through while burning at the stake to let them all know at the very end, three times, No problem. What a manifestation of the glory of God. Think about that. 
And what a de dedication to the service of God. When all he had to do was have his child baptized in another religion. Which I won't get into. Next, number four. Thankful that his words were heard on high. Look at John's gospel, chapter 11, and these two verses, verse 4 and verse 41. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he made this declaration of his faith. Notice it's not a prayer. It's a declaration. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. That was his declaration of faith. Can you imagine being so confident, so sure of your walk with God, that when you speak words as he just spoke, that I know those words were heard. Remember 1 John 5, 14, 15, that says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petition we desired of him. Okay, so look at verse 41 now. This sickness is not under death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that you heard me. There was such boldness, such confidence in knowing he heard what I said. Remove the stone. God heard what I said. But what did he say? This sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. So, Lazarus, Come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound with grave clothes. And Jesus said, loosen, let him go. But Jesus was so confident in his words. This wasn't a prayer. It was a declaration of faith. God wants us to get to a place in our walk with him. I'm not saying it's easy. We've got a lot of challenges along the way. Jesus didn't have to deal with a fallen flesh like we do. I understand that. But you know what? He's given us the equipping that we need. His spirit, his word, and also his righteousness. So that we can be confident that we can stand before the throne of God and be heard. Can you say amen to that? And then be confident enough in our words that we speak that God will honor what we say. And why will he honor it? Because we should be saying his word back to him. His word does not return void. It accomplishes that which he pleases. And it prospers in the thing where to he sent it. So when it comes to being thankful, this Thanksgiving, let's take it just to another level. Let's really consider what we're thankful for. We are thankful for the blood that was shed for our redemption. We are thankful that when we acknowledge who we are and what we have in Christ, there will be a manifestation of the glory of God that will transform our lives from glory to glory to be more like Him. 
And that when we take a hold of his word and honor his word and declare his word to be true in our lives, that heaven will hear and back it up and honor it. Instead of keep keeping tr- on trying to receive something, trying to get something, let's make an adjustment. I want to thank you that my child is walking with you. I want to thank you that my finances are restored. I want to thank you that everywhere I go, there is an outflowing of your presence in my life. That I'm attracted to people and people are attracted to me, not because of me, but because of you in me. And that when they even see me, it's like Wigglesworth was told, your presence convicts me of sin. Taking it to another level. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, nothing happens instantly. And nothing happens when it comes to developing thankfulness by an impartation. It would be wonderful if we would say we're going to have an impartation service. And you come up here. And once hands are laid on you, you'll never complain ever again. (laughs) Never, never, never again will you complain. You'll be so thankful in your life. That's all you do is just thank God for everything. It doesn't happen that way. Just like any other virtue, it requires us to be dedicated to doing what is necessary to develop it in our lives. Look at the book of Hebrews where it's basically stated. Through habitual practice, we can develop godly character and virtues. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And so what the writer is basically saying, look, you're, you're transitioning from the Old Testament revelation to the New Testament revelation. And in the process of it, you're going through a new birth. And, and everyone knows a child that's born to the world needs milk. And as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And the writer was saying, you ought to be at a place in your life where you have a better understanding of the word of God. And you should be walking in the light of that revelation. But you need someone to go back and teach you when you should be teaching somebody else. Why? Because you haven't through habitual practice yet trained your senses to discern the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And so he's trying to give them that revelation. So he's saying, look, you need to develop this in your life. And so thankfulness is something we develop. Actually, if you think about it this way, complaining doesn't need any practice. Does it? Murmuring doesn't need any practice, does it? No, that's automatic. But when it comes to being thankful, number one, we need to learn how to do this. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 tells us, here it is. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning other people, but not me. Concerning you, right? Notice the word in, not for. 
Not for, but in. In whatever situation we find ourselves in, we are to give thanks. Why? He's the solution to the problem. He's the answer to the question. He has the revelation that we need. He has the wisdom that we need. He has whatever it is that we need to get through the situation. So in it, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for helping me get through this difficulty. Thank you. Maybe you're going into work and, and you've been persecuted by the people that, where you work and all that. You know what? Start thanking God for his glory to show up through you in such a way that when they see you the next time, it's not like, oh, that lunatic. It's like, whoa, what, what just hit me? What, what was that that just hit me? See what I mean? The difference is God manifesting himself in us and through us. And people being touched and convicted by the Holy Spirit. And all we do is just speak words of love. Not criticism. And we can take that into every area of our lives. First of all, let's say, first of all, we have to learn in things, everything. We have to give thanks. Okay. Secondly, it's important that maybe we put together a list. Sometimes we have a prayer list. I'm going to pray for this one, 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 this one. What about a thank you list? Anybody got a thank you list? Thank you for this. Thank you. I thank you that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I thank you that I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I want to thank you that my children are responding to life and not death. The thank you brings the glory. Isn't it true that when we pray in Philippians chapter 4, it tells us in verse 6, be careful for nothing, have no anxiety or whatever, fret about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God because then the peace of God will come upon you. That passes all understanding to keep your heart and mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you see the sequence? Don't worry. Don't fret. Give it to God and then thank him. And when you thank him, the peace that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together. We're not going to finish it, but we'll just stand together.